0: Hello, line Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Line Cook Thoughts Podcast. On this episode, I get to talk to Chef David Vidal. David is a senior stew chef at Skandeg, Lahome in Stromstad, Sweden. And the reason I wanted to have him on, well, I guess the biggest reason I wanted to have him on is because his entire career, he's been able to bounce back and forth between the savory and sweet side of the culinary industry. Um, Starting, you know, at a young age, uh, learning how to bake through his family and then going to culinary school and learning how to cook. Uh, And then kind of progressing through that. And just five years ago, going back to pastry and having this extraordinary ability to make these desserts that you can find on his Instagram, I just thought it was really interesting. We connected through Instagram. He ended up uh, listening to a couple episodes of the podcast, which I'm super honored to hear. Um, But I really just wanted to have him on to chat about his career. I think it was very fascinating uh, how he kind of progressed through it. I think it's really interesting how he sees food. And I really hope you all enjoy. Uh, But I really go check out his Instagram. It's Vidal31, and his Instagram is just amazing with uh, so many different uh, pastries and desserts methods. And, you know, I really like it because, like a lot of people that have been on the podcast, not only is he a pastry chef, but he's also someone who wants to teach. And so he he gives a lot of cool videos. He goes around teaching master classes. And I just think it's a really cool thing to see chefs like him of his caliber going and teaching and trying to progress the knowledge of everyone else. So I really hope you all enjoy. Chef, thank you so much for coming on, and here we go. yeah that should be good uh all right chef uh welcome to the podcast thank you so much for coming on if you thanks. just wanted to start introducing yourself that would be great
1: yeah thanks for having me um my name is david vital i'm a uh, well I'm, I'm a chef working in sweden from uh, malta
0: born in canada
1: and okay lately i work more with pastry basically
0: all right awesome um so you said you were born in Canada, uh, but you're from Malta, so I, I, that, I'm guessing that's where you grew up, was Malta.
1: Yeah, well, I was born in Canada until 12 years old. I lived there with, with my parents. Um, okay. Both parents are from Malta, so they moved back when we, when I was 12. So I was okay. all chef school and all my career was started in Malta, basically.
0: Okay, what was it like growing up in Canada?
1: Uh, cold. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of it's it's kind of like Sweden. It's uh cold and I don't. It's so long. It's so long for a long time ago. I can't. I don't remember it as much as uh, Malta. Um, yeah. It it, it re- reason why like I don't I don't remember it. most of the things I remember from is. Uh, Playing around as a child and stuff—it's nothing that gave to me for my career, really.
0: No, no uh, big food memories from Canada either. Not really. More from
1: my household, from uh, the parents, because food is a big thing in my family. And what were some was... uh,
0: dishes they would cook?
1: Well, in Canada, we we always used to cook Maltese food, anyways. My parents. Both both were from Malta, so there was no really Canadian cooking. It was more Mediterranean, lots of pasta, uh, rabbit. We used to eat a lot. Um, it's a big it's a big national dish in Malta. So the, all the aunts and uncles used to miss it. So we used to eat quite a lot.
0: Okay, and how is, I mean, how was the rabbit prepared? Uh,
1: the rabbit in Malta, you, you usually do it like a stew, kind of. So first you'd like cut it into pretty robust pieces on the bone and then fry it with like tomatoes and peas and onions and red wine. And you just simmer it for a long time. So it's kind of like a stew with big pieces in it and bones.
0: (laughs) Okay. I mean, it sounds good. Um, Yeah, it's it's good. uh, Do you still make that today?
1: Unfortunately not, not here in Sweden. Um, it's not rabbit isn't such a big thing here in Sweden so we don't mm. we don't do it so much but every time we go back to Malta it's a big thing there
0: okay um and in terms of you growing up in food um uh, what I guess what kind of made you want to get into cooking I know when I was doing some research I know your dad uh was a big uh influence on that uh what what did he do in terms of food and how did he inspire you to get into cooking
1: well, the whole cooking part came kind of—it was kind of forced upon me at, at to start with. Okay. Um, reason is when we moved back to Malta, my dad, who was working as a spray painter before in Canada, and with in a chemical company, uh, he decided to go into pastry all of a sudden when he moved to Malta, because okay. all his all his brothers are bakers. So it was kind of like an easy job to get into um kind of because he had he had a job as soon as he went back to Malta, so it was kind of it was a family run business, and all the kids used to be there, all the cousins so it was kind of like a meeting place so when I was twelve, basically I started to kind of work there after school
0: mm-hmm. so i
1: would I would finish school around get home around four. Go home, change, go to the bakery, stay there till eight o'clock and then go home and do homework and the same the next day.
0: Wow. That's a long so, day. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was, it was a long day, but you know, I never saw it like that when I, when, when I was in malls. I, I used to enjoy getting a bit of extra money, which I, which I could do whatever I wanted with by
0: mm-hmm.
1: PlayStation games and things as such. <laughs> and uh <laughs> I never thought I would actually end up doing, uh, being a chef. My, okay, my kind, my kind of, I wanted to be a carpenter at first, which I can which I'm horrible at now. And, uh, I, so I thought, okay, I'll go into, I'll go help them at the store and then I'll go to carpentry school and do that after. But I went, I have a lot of my uncles are also um, carpenters. We come from, our our family is a really big family. My mom's side have uh, their 16 brothers and sisters. And my dad's side has seven. So we're really lots of uncles and aunts. And a lot of them are either carpenters or working in bakeries. And... After I went to do an internship at my uncle's carpentry shop, I just didn't I never wanted to do it again. It was horrible.
0: Why is so that?
1: I, uh, I was just he he was I was at the bakery and he told me like oh why you're wasting your time here if you want to be a carpenter why don't you come with me, and I'll show you how it is to be a carpenter like if that's what you want to be and i i remember this whole i work a shift with him and the whole shift i was just sandpapering a, a chair and it was the most horrible time ever so i just <laughs> i went i went after that and i was i was actually doing carpentry school at the time so the rest of okay. the carpentry school the the last year i was just playing football outside cuz i i didn't want to have anything to do with carpentry more and then i just decided after that i'm going to i'm going to just be a
0: chef okay and that's a pretty interesting story um to go from you know wanting to be a carpenter to going to be a chef um, what so going back to your dad's pastry shop, I mean, how big was it? Did, like did it serve a lot of people? like what was the scale or the size of the of the shop okay
1: the the pastry shop back then, right now it's pretty small it's a smaller scale than it was, but he had about seven or it was my uncle's to start with the pastry shop. it wasn't my dad's. My dad mm-hmm. just was working with him. And I think they were might have been around seven bakers and they're working. So it was pretty wow. it was pretty big. Um they used to do cater for weddings and in Malta it's a bit you do all the when yeah. we say bakery, we mean we call it dolceria, we say. And it's more like gatos and stuff like that they do in cakes, not necessarily bread. Mm-hmm. Um the bread they'd only make it one time a year around Easter. Otherwise you'd go to a bread shop just for breads in Malta. Okay. And so, so it was a lot of those type of stuff, patty cakes, pasta they used to make a lot of also to sell in the shop. So it was a bit really? of it's not yeah, it's not your usual a pastry shop in Malta isn't like a pastry shop in Paris or it's a two two solely different things.
0: Okay, I mean that's interesting that you kind of also had some sort of a cooking aspect in terms of the pasta and all that. Yeah, we used
1: to make we used to make ravioli and then sell it to customers to cook at home. And
0: nice. Will there well, be some like fillings for the ravioli? The
1: the only one we used to make was the classical Maltese, which is ricotta. Okay. So that's like that's like a typical Maltese dish. Also is uh, ravioli with ricotta and tomato sauce, parmesan on top. Quite simple. Sounds good. Yeah. So they, simple things are good if they're done right.
0: True. Yeah. Um. I, so I really don't know a lot about Malta. What, like, in terms of cuisine. So, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, but what else, like, if I were to go to Malta, what else would I find if I were to go eat there for a couple of days?
1: Right. Malta, the thing about Malta is it's, uh, it has a lot of influences from around the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. So you have you have like a lot of influences from Italy, from France, from Spain. And then you have also influences like from Turkey and the north of Africa, because you're it's where it's situated. It's situated right in the middle of the Mediterranean. And over the years, talking back like hundreds of years, there's been so many countries that have tried to take over Malta. So there's so much influences from different countries there. So we have a lot of, so a lot of pasta for sure. Like a typical starter dish in Malta is like a pasta dish would be. You go out to eat a restaurant, usually have like a main course. And before that, you'll have like a pasta dish. Um, we eat lots of like antipasti, kind of like Italy also. Um, a lot of dates, which kind of are like uh, Arabic type of fruits. Okay. Uh, ricotta, a lot of ricotta. Like a, a normal classical uh, Maltese pastry would be like things you would find in Sicily. Cannoli with ricotta and like chocolate. That's a typical one. Uh, if you if you go to your grandma's she'll probably make you like a ricotta pie in the oven savoury dish. We Maltese okay. people love ricotta and... Uh, and almonds a lot also. Almonds also. Everything, would, everything with almonds usually.
0: That's interesting. Uh, what would be in the ricotta pie that your grandmother used to make?
1: It's, it's just simple. Usually it's just like uh, you do a mix with uh, ricotta and eggs and salt and pepper and usually parsley. And you just bake it off in the oven and have sesame seeds on top. And usually, it's, usually it's something like you just take a slice of to go to the beach with you.
0: Mm-hmm. So you
1: you just have a piece of that by the beach because it's it's hmm. the Malta is also all about beaches also.
0: Okay.
1: You have so much. That's you have
0: So Yeah, you have
1: a lot of yeah you have a lot of uh, fish also cause it's so, so by the sea. So the, the fish are year or, uh, all year round fish and seafood plays a big part in the cuisine also.
0: Hmm. Huh. I mean, it's interesting. The, um, I mean, the ricotta pie is interesting because my grandfather who is, uh, Italian, he would always make that, uh, actually coming up with Easter now, uh, he would always call it Easter pie, but it would basically be, um, you know, like a bread stuff with pie. And then he would add pepperoni and, Hard boiled eggs and mint, Um, which is interesting. Yeah, that's really good.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's really good. Exactly like that, like with hard boiled eggs, also. Like sometimes we'll make uh, 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 pasta in the oven, kind of, and you'd have like hard boiled eggs in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. People come from from different countries and they think, wow, like what's that doing in there? But it's, uh, Mm -hmm. we just think it's normal, It's, it's traditional. And those, those are the type yeah. of foods I yeah. miss working here in Sweden. Like, you don't see them so much. No. Or not at all,
0: basically. Okay. Um, and then, so, going back to your story of getting into cooking. So, obviously, you had decided that you wanted to be a chef. And so, you went to school uh, after that?
1: Yeah. I went to – well, I thought, my, I thought my plan was, I thought, all right, I'll just work with my dad. In the, in the pastry shop, but I still wasn't ready. I was still young, I was still 14, 15. So I thought, all right, I still want to be in school. Like, I don't want to just stop school and just go to, to work for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, so I thought, all right, I'll go to chef school. There was a chef school in, in Malta, still is there, Institute of Tourism Studies. And I thought, I'll go to school for a couple of years, get the certificates and everything, and then I'll end up working with my dad, in the shop. Okay. Um, I, I enjoy being around family, so I thought it would be a, night, a fun thing to do. Like um, after that, like a couple of weeks into chef school, then I decided that pastry wasn't for me. That I would I would just be a chef, because there was a There was a competition going on there at the time where they brought they brought a school from America, a school from England and Ireland and the Maltese school. And they were like having a a competition against each other. And I thought it was just Mm -hmm. so fascinating Mm -hmm. how. Well, when when I went to school, I didn't think food could be so fun, if you know what I mean, or so on a different level. All I knew about food before was like what my mom cooked at home. The point I went to school was for the, for the pastry side, not for the food side. And then, and then when I saw it, I was like, wow, I need to get in on it. So I just totally didn't (laughs) want to do the pastry side anymore and just went all in on the, the cooking. I had like my, my goal was to, before I finished school, I wanted to compete.
0: Okay. And, um, I mean, that's it's interesting because when I was going to culinary school, uh, we had competitions here or there, um, but nothing like, you know, too serious. But as I've been doing this podcast and talking to other chefs who had gone to school before I did, the like, competition seem to be a big thing. And I know it still is in the industry. But uh, I mean, do you like com- you obviously like competing uh, in terms of cooking?
1: Yeah, I enjoy competing. It's uh, I don't have any time for it anymore, but uh unfortunately. But the feeling of competing and doing good in a competition is uh not, i don't think there's anything like it really i mean yeah. it's it just it's i i think that you need to have a good balance about everything i mean it's 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 fun competing I wouldn't say I'm one of these chefs that just like to compete. i think there's chefs who who are really good at competing, but then if you put them into a normal kitchen they don't um work as good, because they're so into competing. Mm -hmm. I think you should have a good blend of both, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, Isn't so, through school, obviously, you you wanted to lean more towards the savory side, per se. And then what kind of happened in school that, like, so when you graduated, what were you looking for in terms of work?
1: Well, the only, I mean, my only dream was to be a head chef nothing to do with pastry i uh, okay. obviously in the school I was you have to do all the pastry side to it also you you had to, it there was no there was no um, the course consi- consisted of doing savory baking and pastry you couldn't you couldn't just decide like I just want to do savory or I just want to do pastry you had to do it all so when i when I finished school I had a base of everything, but I I just wanted to do savory, so I just used to only work on the hot section when I left.
0: Okay, and was this uh, still in Malta, or did you end up leaving?
1: No, this was still in Malta. This was uh, during during the years at school. I spent I think four or five years at school. The whole, the whole culinary course, I think, was three years, but I just continued with it and did, like, advanced diplomas and stuff. And okay, so one of the years was out in London, and the rest of the four years were at school. And during those four years, I ended up competing with the school also. So we went to, we represented Malt in, a, in a, the Junior World Cup in scotland
0: okay what was that experience like yeah that that was uh
1: that was a great experience but there you can when i look back at it now i can see how much things we were not prepared for i mean back then just to be chosen was like you were on on top of the world like you was so great but when i look at back at it now having trained here in Sweden, having Competed with a team here in Sweden. I can understand how how much more Malta isn't like supported by the with sponsorships and stuff. It takes so much yeah. money to, to compete for a team. That example here in Sweden, we 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 trained for two years before the World Cup. In Malta, we trained for a month. It's wow. uh, it's, it's quite, when you think of it now, it's like I just laugh at it because it's so. It's comical compared to the, the the dedication that they do here in Sweden.
0: Yeah. Hmm. And, I and mean, that's and
1: really... You can see it in results also. I mean, the the Swedish national team here is best in the world, I think. I mean, yeah, I
0: mean, that to have two years is a lot different than one month.
1: Yeah, it's it was nothing, and, and and when we competed with Malta, I mean, we did the we did the hot buffet. We trained it once, and the cold buffet we didn't train it at all. Here in Sweden, the cold buffet we trained it about fourteen times before we were done with it. So it's like it's night and day, but it's also because you have so much more money, sponsorship and it takes a lot of time from the chefs and in Malta, it's not always, it's not always easy with sponsorships.
0: Yeah. I'd imagine that. Um, so one, so going back to your career uh, at post college or post year school, um, you were working in Malta. And so did you progress through the kitchen in Malta? Like, Did you end up becoming a head chef there or kind of, how did your career go once you left school? No, I,
1: I worked with a uh, with a chef, I which was kind of like my second father. He was my mentor, and during school and a bit after school, I always worked with him. Uh, okay. Down in Malta, he was a typical uh, Sicilian type cuisine he did, which I enjoyed a lot. And so till after, a bit about a year after school, I think I was still working there. And after that, I thought I wasn't progressing anymore. So I thought I needed, I needed a change. So I went into uh, more fine dining, working in in a really big hotel in Malta. Five-star hotel. Uh-huh. Uh, four, four-star hotel in Malta, which has like six different restaurants in it. And so I was working in the fine dining restaurant in there. And it, it was a massive hotel. I mean, the the buffet restaurant could take up to a thousand people in a Jeez. night. So it was. It there was. It, you learned a lot. I mean, we were probably. I think we were about thirty chefs in there working full time. Um, so it's it's the biggest hotel I've worked in. Really good experience, but I didn't. It didn't last long there either. I lasted a year, and then after that. I wanted to come to Sweden.
0: Okay, and what What was the push to go to Sweden? Well,
1: for first of all, my wife's from Sweden, so I met her in, while I was working in London while I was in school. Okay, she was she was also a chef. We worked in the same kitchen, and so she moved back to she moved with me to Malta, and. I was all about I wanted to work and com- be in competitions and work in really fine dining restaurants in abroad in Michelin stars because we never we never had those Michelin stars in Malta. They were only uh, they were only recently have that they have came to Malta this last year. So you always had to go abroad if you wanted to work really fine dining in Malta. Okay. And that was my dream. so i did, we decided let's move to Sweden. And I'll get a job in Gothenburg like, and work there.
0: Okay. And so how was that working in Sweden for the first time?
1: As soon as I came, we moved to Stromstad. It's a small fishing village on the West coast of Sweden. It's where I live now. And I have never moved actually, because our plan was to go to Gothenburg, work in a Michelin restaurant. And get situated there. Uh, at the time, I had a we were expecting our first child, <laughs> so. And things changed. I mean, I had I had some interviews in, in uh, Michelin stars in Gothenburg, and, uh, I got the jobs, but, they were like, you're gonna have to work, a of, like so much. You we'll tell you when to take your vacation. You won't have good pay. They tell you right away. And I'm like, okay. The The only thing that didn't bother me about that was working a lot. Because that, that mm-hmm. I still do to this day. But telling me, we're going to tell you when you take your vacation. Telling me, you're not going to get good pay. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have a kid. No. I mean, they, I you can tell that to a 17-year-old. But i'm like it's it's nice to work in those type of restaurants but i mean it's not everything yeah i mean that, that's my that's, that's my view on it
0: yeah i i mean i've talked to a lot of people on the podcast and i mean a lot of people who follow the page uh they obviously want to work michelin and they want to go chase michelin stars uh a couple, only a couple of years ago i wanted to do the same thing Um, But there is a worry amongst some people about, you know, quality of life or just having the support to kind of take care of things outside of the kitchen. So it's interesting to see that overseas as well. It's kind of the same kind of mentality.
1: Yeah, I think I think honestly, I think things are changing now in Sweden and Scandinavia and all on that. Um, Now chefs are more like, oh, you should only work 40 hours. You should only do your full time. That's what I do now. I don't do more than 40 hours a week at the hotel. and. This is this was 15 years ago now so I mean it was a different time also but back then it was like that like you they, they basically told you they're gonna they're gonna decide your life like how you're gonna work <laughs> and it's and it's okay if you if you don't have a, if you don't have a family and such but it, once you have a family you need to decide I was I was I you didn't know. want to be that type of chef that didn't see their ch- their children. I want to see my children i want to i want to ba- try to balance it out which is hard it's hard right now i mean what i do when i'm at the hotel or doing courses abroad and trying to balance my family life it's hard but you have to, you have to manage it you have to try to find a balance
0: yeah i imagine um and so how did you go i mean obviously like, how did you go about throughout your career i guess because if there's someone listening they're probably wondering how you were able to kind of start the conversation but what did you tell your shops or the people you worked for in terms of wanting a balance with life is did you just say that from the beginning or is it something you kind of worked out with them
1: well once i once i then i just decided okay i'm just going to live in stromstad i'm going to find a job here and i got offered a a position at a restaurant here and it just came it it was nothing People just understand it that you have, you have kids and you're going to want your a weekend off here and there, and so it's nothing yeah. I had to ask for really, and through time it's been more and more that I'm given it as more I'm older and I think I think especially here in Sweden I would say and Scandinavia, things are changing where people understand that you, you need your time if you have a happy life at home. And out of work, I think you have a happy life at work also, kind of. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's a good balance. I don't know if that yeah. answered your question, really, <laughs> No, it it's,
0: did. It's, no definitely. it's nothing.
1: It's nothing like I, that. I asked for like I want to be at home. It's not. It's not about that. It's about being able to to take a night off and be with your family.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and so you're in Sweden. Were you still working the hotline at this point? Sorry, you were so like when you were cooking in the restaurant when you took that job. Were you still like as a chef, or you like you hadn't done pastry yet, still, right?
1: No, I still hadn't done pastry. I was still working as a chef. And about a year after working in this restaurant down by the harbor, I got the head chef position there and well it it was kind of i got the head chef position but it was kind of early i would say to get it i was 25 at the time but i okay. felt i say it was kind of early because i felt that you don't you need more time to learn it like now now i can feel more that i've evolved as a chef compared to 10 years ago and i think when you're young it's good to go around a lot so if anything, I would have changed. I probably would have changed that back then. I mean, even though I I learned from it, I wouldn't. Uh, and I it's nothing that I did wrong. I lasted there until we closed mm-hmm. the restaurant because we, they were a new one. Um, it's just that I think it was a bit too early. It was hard to come up with new stuff. You're you're you haven't seen enough yet. I think.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean. Def- I mean, so I worked as, I, worked as when a... I. No, you go ahead.
1: Uh, no, 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 I just... So, basically, I've been working in, in restaurants around there, around here in Strömstad, and, and at Laholmen also, where I work now. But when I moved to Laholmen also, I moved there as a sous chef, working on the hot section.
0: Okay. And when did you start to get into pastry?
1: Okay the pastry side of it just came about 5 years ago I think so I haven't really? been I haven't been doing pastry for that long I've always, yeah I've always had that's it's it's something that people are uh, a bit like what like they they think I've been working in this with pastry like for 20 years or something the thing with mm-hmm. pastry is that I've always had that upbringing from working with my dad and uncle mm-hmm. So the basics have always been there and taught of it, taught in it at school. Um, and here in Sweden, you have like, you have the hot section and then you have the cold section. And the cold section consists of pastry and the garmanger. So as much as I do pastry now, I also do uh, starters and salads for the buffet and everything to do with the cold section. It's just okay. that I don't I don't put it up on Instagram so much. So people think I just do pastry. Um, okay. And why don't you put that stuff up a more? I don't know honestly, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just a uh, it's just been a thing that people want to see more pastry. So I just put, put it put up more than pastry, but I still do starters and lately I've been trying to come off of it a bit and not do so much because um this, me going abroad, doing courses and, and Instagram has led to more people coming to the hotel for pastry and ordering like cakes from us and wedding cakes, things that take more time that I need to, I don't have time to do those type of stuff anymore when it comes to starters and I need to be more on pastry. So we're trying to figure out the balance there also, so I can be more of a pastry chef and leave the starters to to another person.
0: Okay. What is uh what is one so what's a dish I guess that you had created for the like the hot side of the kitchen that you were really proud of. Oh so lovely enough. Can't remember. <laughs> oh I can't
1: Oh you put me on the spot.
0: <laughs> I, it, was,
1: it was like five years ago. I can't I can't remember anything. Honestly, no. Where did uh, I guess? What did you? It's it's funny because this week we're actually trying to do uh, new menus for the summer menu,
0: yeah. And
1: trying to think think of about new menus, and the head chef asked me to get going on the on the hot section menu also, since we're not <laughs> a lot of chefs in during this time, and I totally blacked out. I was there for four hours and I didn't write anything, because. <laughs> it's just not it it's still there like if i want to cook something i'll do it and i think it's fun but i've become so much more passionate about pastry that it's it's kind of like i, I don't want to do it anymore as much the passion isn't there as much as it is in the pastry section
0: okay and uh so uh, yesterday when i commented on that uh your picture. Um, the almond, lemon, and thyme. Can you walk me through how you made that?
1: Uh, I'm just going to... Which one was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I'm just going to look... look Finding it on just so I can see what it is. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a... Uh, well, basically, first I did a layer A sablée dough. And I did like a tart shell, shell. And it's a frangipan inside with the almond. And... It's a lemon mousse, which is glazed on the top.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it has like a a thyme gel inside also. And it, the chocolate, the actual green chocolate, is a chocolate which I uh, I mixed myself with thyme. So that the actual chocolate tastes like thyme. So the green in the chocolate mm-hmm. is from, uh, from thyme. It's not any color added to it.
0: Really? How did you get the color to stay so bright?
1: It's a it's a new product from Sosa,
0: and they have so much different
1: different uh, dried herbs where you put them in a in a conch, and you you make the chocolate taste like the the flavor you want. So I've I've done like this one with thyme. I've had others with basil, black currant, um, ginger. A carrot, I did a carrot cake where I did an orange chocolate that tastes like carrot, and the the I color just it. comes. Yeah, it's really it's. I've been playing around with them for the past, probably the past year now. And I think it's a really interesting product, and because I I like things that when you when you taste something that it it tastes like it can complement the dish, not like let's yeah. just do a yeah. a green chocolate for this desert, and just it's just green like it's nice when it can taste something to complement the dish or the pastry. okay
0: and so like when you're looking to create a new pastry or you're looking to bring flavors together do you think your time spent on the hotline helps you or gives you an advantage as a pastry chef
1: well yeah definitely i don't know if you call it an advantage really but it's it's more how i think like like if we if we use like lemon and basil on the hot section to do something with fish, example, I'll use those tastes to do something in pastry. Some of my favorite things to use is like lemon and basil in the desert. Probably you've seen it before. I love mm-hmm. to use a lot of herbs and things that well, I don't think they're that, they're that uncommon, but things that not all pastry chefs use. I think, yeah. I think it's, I think mean, it's come from, from being on the hot section. I think it's a, 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 well, I don't think, I don't know if it's important for a pastry chef to have worked on the hot section, but I think it's an important part of me that I like to bring out when I do things. Okay. It makes me, it makes me more flexible. Like.
0: Yeah. It allows you to kind of think of new things that maybe other people wouldn't have. Um uh, like was it was it hard to go from working on a hotline to working on pastry? Like do you miss at all like the rush of working during a service? Or I mean obviously you probably still have that feeling once in a while, but there is a it's not the, bit it's of not a the difference same. between
1: Yeah, yeah, no. it's not the same at all. Uh, that's that's what I tell that's what I tell my brother, because my brother works with me at the hotel. And he's he's now like the took my job as the head of the hot section. And okay. That's that's what I miss. I miss like a really busy Saturday night when you're really in the weeds and you' you're gonna get out of it, like the feeling after that there's there's no better feeling like uh, probably every chef agrees, like having a really busy night and getting out of it and everything go went good and you have no complaints, and that i that I can miss because it's not the same feeling on the cold section it's the the service on the cold section it can be it can be really busy also i'm not saying it's a walk in the park but it's not the same at all there's so much more that can go wrong on a service in the hot section i think
0: okay yeah it's interesting um so going into kind of i guess when i was like looking you up you know there's some youtube videos of you like doing interviews and you had mentioned about uh being your big, how being your own biggest critic has let you become better as a chef. Uh, how important is it to you for, to always find something that you didn't like in your work?
1: Yeah, it's really important. I I'll, I'll never. I think some some people when I talk to them, they'll they'll think like, uh, like maybe I can see it on them. Like, how can you think like that? But I think I'm never happy with anything I do. Basically, when 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 people I. I hate it really when people tell me like wow that tastes really good or wow that looks amazing or I rather they tell me the one thing that's wrong in it that I can see because and it can be it can be so small stuff like how something is piped or maybe something's a bit too sweet or something's a bit too sour and I think I the thing is if you're doing something and you're happy with everything you're doing for me, there's no um, progress in it. You, you're not seeing anything you can progress with. Mm. Once and and also like it's it's the same when we do when we'll do menus like I'll never bring something back that I've taken off the menu. Like oh, this summer we're doing a menu. Let's see what we did last summer. Oh, that was a really good dish. Let's bring that back because you're not I'm not progressing as a chef. I want to do something new, something different. And it's and I think it's it's important to try to find try to find defects in what you've done to try to make it look better or be better, taste better. I can't yeah. even my even the chefs that work with with me I'll I get really uh, irritated if I hear like all the time, oh it's good, it's good, it's good, that's really good. We're doing a good job. I mean I'm I'm really self critical of myself. I want us to be I want us to be the best, but I don't want us to like once you get somewhere and you just sit there and everything is good, you're not gonna last there long.
0: Yeah.
1: In my eyes. It can be so it's it- a it's going to be a bit hard to think like that on yourself, like, but I think when, when you, you're you not going to progress otherwise.
0: Okay. I mean, yeah, like that constant, um, I guess, energy to be better and want to do better. I think that w- that's probably what's helped you, you know, I mean, like you said only five years ago, you started out and, you know, really focusing on pastry, but some of your work obviously like shows like a lot of technical skills. So I'm sure that that mentality has helped you progress faster than Maybe you would have if you were just happy with your first product that you put out.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean some sometimes I'll, I'll look I'll look back now. I'll go like through my Instagram feed and just look back and like what was I thinking there? Like it was horrible. <laughs> or uh I mean when I start when I started the pastry section, I couldn't I had never tempered chocolate before. not uh, five years ago. And I, it's not a lot of people that know that. Usually I'll tell them that when I go on like a master class. Uh, but I mean, I learned, I went, I decided, okay, I want to, I want to learn how to temper chocolate so I can make bonbons. What do I need to do? So I just, I've, I sent a, I sent a message through Instagram to, a, to who's now is a good friend of mine, pastry chef who works about an hour away from here and i told mm-hmm. him if i come mm-hmm. if i come to you for 3 days and work for free can you teach me how to make bonbons and temper chocolate and he said yeah so i just took 3 days off of work went down there and he taught me how to to temper chocolate so once you know once you know that part then you it's you can progress it yourself i think then it was like okay how am i going to do this decoration and that then i just try fail I'm the type that I'll go, I'll wake up in the morning, two hours before my shift, go in, be there like at six o'clock in the morning. The breakfast chefs are saying, what are you doing here? And I'm just playing around with chocolate for two hours before the actual shift starts. It goes <laughs> it goes bad. I just melt it and start over, like continue until I have that decoration how I want it. And that's the time that I have to do that. So it's gone a lot yeah. of time from on my own time. To, to do
0: things like that. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And uh, something I kind of want to get into, uh, kind of jumping off of that, the idea of learning, uh, I know that you are now teaching a lot of classes and you I mean, it just shows that you want to share your knowledge. Why was it important to you to start getting into teaching and start sharing with other people uh, your work?
1: Well, at first I didn't even think about it. I was just, uh, I was in Italy and I had gone to Silico Mart and they just asked me, do you want to do a class here? And I was like, what? Like, I, It was two years, three years maybe after being in pastry. And I was like, I still have so much more to learn, which I still have now today, I think. And and they were like, yeah, of course you should be teaching classes. like." So I just... I just thought, all right, I'm gonna try it once and see how it goes and and see if I like it. And it was it was really fun to do. And I think when when you get those when you do those type of classes, everyone who comes to those classes want to learn from you. and it's it's a really nice feeling to uh, to be able to teach people. Well, I I say teach people the little I know because I'm I don't think I'm like I've said before I don't think I'm anywhere near where I want to be yet. I think I still have a lot yeah. more to learn, and I think even with these courses, it's a good. I I always try to when I do a class that I learn myself from it also. Some people will tell me like why don't you do that like that instead of that? That's how I do it, and I'm the type of chef that. I'll say, okay. Well, why don't we try it? Like, we can try both ways and see which is better. Like, which. And if theirs is better, I'm not gonna be like, well, I'm here to teach my class. This is how I do it. This is how we're gonna do it. Like, we're we're here to learn. I I enjoy like learning from them as much as they're learning from me. Like,
0: when you're learning from them and they're, I guess when you're in that environment, I mean, how, is it hard to teach? I guess what is a class like? What what do you necessarily teach them? Is it just the basics, or do you go more in depth, or is it a couple like over a couple of days?
1: Usually, usually a class can last um, two, days, two days and it depends what the organizers want me to do. But usually, what I do is I, either I'll do a class on petit gatos and entremets, or I'll do a class on plated desserts. And okay, I'll usually do it like. We'll prep every piece together on the first day. And then on the second day, we'll go more into finishing, like all the chocolate decorations, all the finishing, if we're going to glaze something, if we're going to spray something. Because I usually tell them, like, um, I think the first day is much more important. All these basics, all the mousses or whatever we're going to prepare. It's so, some people think it might be the boring part. But if you can't do that part, the basic, then there's no point in in just doing the hard stuff. So we'll yeah. go through we'll go through everything from we'll go in with just raw material. and on the second day or third day, depending on how long the course is, we'll put up the buffet.
0: Okay, that's cool. I try um... not to, sometimes
1: you have to prepare some things before, but preferably I don't like to do it. I like to and we go in totally raw materials and we just do everything there and then together so you see okay. you see something from the raw material to the to the finishing
0: well, that's cool i mean that, that's probably really a great experience for them
1: yeah it's, it's how you it's how i think you learn most i mean it's not so fun if i come out with a lot of stuff that i've done done beforehand and uh, not show them how to do it yeah Um, it's always it's always one thing with reading reading a recipe then seeing it done in front of you and I'm that type I'm I can pick up a recipe really quick if I see someone do it but if just by reading it you can sometimes miss stuff
0: yeah yeah definitely um so I wanted it the last kind of the last thing I want to get into or something that I wanted to talk about is your social media following or your presence. Uh, I know you said, you know, we talked earlier about you sharing pastry online. How, do, how are you able to build on social media and how has it helped you like in terms of connections in your career in general? Um,
1: how I built it was honestly, I just I never I never had a, a clue that it would be like this big. Right now, mm-hmm. I think it's around 375 or something thousand. And, it's a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. And it, <laughs> it was it was just like I used to just put up pictures of my kids and stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and when I, when I moved over to the pastry section, then I was like, I need to find a bit of inspiration, see what people are doing nowadays, and because all my pastry knowledge was from back when I was working with my dad. And I thought, okay, if I build that to what they're doing today, then I can. So I was looking at social media a lot and I was looking at some stuff and I thought, okay, well, that I can probably do and that I can do. And then I just decided, okay, I'll, I'll put up a couple of pictures here and there. <laughs> and it just, I, I opened my, my, uh, my account from private to public. I was like, okay, cool. And once you, once you get that feeling that people then you kind of continue to put up, and that—I mean—I'm not—I'm not, I'm not going to be—it's—it's it's the truth. Without Instagram, my—I—I I don't think anyone would know who I am, really. I—it's—it's yeah. it's opened up so, and it's opened up so much doors. I mean, to competing with um, the west coast of Sweden side here in for the World Cup. They they found out about me through there. I made friends through there. I've made I made friends in the with chefs that I never thought I'd make friends with. Antonio bouchure I've talked to uh I mean chefs from all around the world that I see that I look up to. And so it's opened up a lot of doors. This with with doing classes around the world also. I mean without Instagram I wouldn't have done classes around the world. Um, and that that's coming from Instagram. Schools see what you're putting up, they follow you, and they ask you, would you like to do a class here? And yeah, of course. Cool. So,
0: social, social
1: media plays a really big part right now in in the in the industry. I think what I think is is I think there there should be a good balance in it. I think there there is sh- people that put up pictures. That you see and you're like, yeah, that you can't do on a busy night on a Saturday, like that. That I I, I don't have any time for really, like things mm-hmm. that I think are practical that can be done in an actual service. I want to, and that that's actually something we we took up with the chefs at work. Once I started doing, putting up pictures on Instagram. There was a couple of chefs also who started putting up on Instagram at work, and we had a talk to them like, anything you put up here on your social media that you done at work needs to be able to reproduce at the hotel.
0: Okay it shouldn't be
1: because I think it's like false advertising if, we, if I put up something that's just going to look good on a picture, but yeah. that we actually yeah. don't serve in the restaurant. Yeah, because people yeah. people aren't stupid. They know where you work. They're gonna come there, ask for things, and if the quality from a picture is totally high compared to what you're actually serving, it's there's no point in it really, or not really, yeah. not at all.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, that that could be an issue. Um, what? Uh, so, I mean, it's just it's just crazy. I mean, how like you're following. Uh, how did you hear about Line Cook Thoughts? I am kind of interested in how you kind of found our page.
1: I heard of it through uh, Chris Harvey, actually. He, uh, okay. he he posted that he had done a, a pod with you. And I was like, I got to listen to it. And I think Chris Harvey is really good. And I had never really listened to him talk so much. I would more like we texted each other a couple of times.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh and when I when I heard him talk, I was like, "Yeah, I'm. This really it's really inspirational." And he's quite a lot like what I what how I think like about failing and stuff. And yeah. so then I started listening to it a bit. So I've listened to a couple of them. I just don't have time to listen to much. That's that's my only problem.
0: I like to have time <laughs> to listen. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for listening. It means a ton. Yeah, sure. Um, wanted to get into, I guess, uh, what's going on in the world nowadays. Uh, obviously, everyone in the food industry is uh, dealing with the coronavirus pandemic right now, and I just was wondering how it w- was going in Sweden and how it's affecting your work and kind of how you're getting through it right now.
1: Yeah, well, work-wise, it's affected. Well, it's affected the, the whole industry over the whole world, and right now mm-hmm. we've closed the restaurant, so we're not cooking anything at work. The situation in Sweden is totally different from everywhere else in the world, where we haven't been in lockdown, and so we still go to work. Everywhere is open. Kids are still going to school. Um, They've taken a different approach on it. Is it good or not? I don't know. We'll have to see. And that's the that's the thing. No one, uh, what is right and wrong during this time? No one knows really. We've never been through something like this.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: So, work-wise, the the restaurant's closed right now, but the lounge bar is open, so we have a bit of food going out there, but a lot of the chefs are, we're not out of a job, but we're we're going down in time, so we work only 40% of our 100% uh, that we're supposed to work, and the rest come from the government, so... And it's it's good. The for us, the good part of it is that the the general manager hasn't decided to fire everyone. Mm. He's so we still have a job and he's more the type like he thinks if we're if I'm loyal to you guys right now, you're gonna be loyal to me, which is kind of good, reassuring.
0: That's good to know.
1: Yeah. Uh well right now we just go in, we we're we paint chairs mm-hmm. and refurbish a bit, uh, menu planning for when we're going to open, which is also tough because we don't know when we're going to open. Is it yeah. gonna? Are we going to open in a couple of weeks? Are we going to open up in a couple of months? No one knows. And you ask people and you don't get a straight answer. So it's hard. I mean, right now we're doing a menu for the summer, but we don't even know if we'll be open in the summer yet. You know, you never know. So it's it's hard yeah. it's hard mm-hmm. and it's i mean i i like to see like uh i say it's hard but i feel sorry if there's much more places that it's, it's much harder for and yeah i mean hopefully the it goes quick and but it's it's such a it's it's not a good situation to be in there's so much restaurants that won't there's so much chefs that won't have a job to go back to because how many restaurants can actually manage to go so long without income? It's um, it's yeah. tough.
0: Yeah, it's tough, it's sad to see. That's I mean that's that's uh, that's
1: what I, that's what that's what I'm. It is it is it's so sad, and that's what I'm more thinking about. I mean, honestly, I think more about the industry in a whole as to my actual job. Mm -hmm. Um, we've been reassured that we're going to have a job and but the industry in the whole how is that going to be and it the industry is so much more stronger when there's a a lot of restaurants I think more chefs I mean if you take if you take this, this situation a couple of months ago a chef's job was so secure that you the the power was more in the chef that you could ask you could go anywhere and get a job because so much people wanted chefs here in Sweden but nowadays it's the other way around now you don't, the people don't want chefs, so I mean you could go in so fast from and hopefully, I mean, and if if restaurants don't survive this it's going to end up staying the situation the same for the chef
0: yeah yeah, I mean, it's definitely worrisome and I don't know. It's it's just tough to see. And it's very hard to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel because we don't, like you said, we don't know when the end will be, so.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, that's what that's what you you hear the young chefs come to you and they'll be like, uh, what, how long is this going to last? And you don't know what to tell them. It's, you just tell them, I don't know. I mean, there's no, right now there is no light at the end of the tunnel. We're just going to have to wait and see and, what we think right now here in Sweden, at least us at the hotel, we're going for like a middle June opening, hopefully. But that could be too early. We don't know. Even even when we start off, yeah. how are we going to start off? We're going to have to start off slow also. I mean, you're not going to go back from what you left it at right away. You're going to have to take measures, still probably um, a decent decent uh distance between tables and all that and things are going to take time to come back to how it was if we come back to how it was before who knows
0: yeah no well i mean i wish you the best of luck with it and i really do hope that we're able to you know kind of bounce back from it all
1: yeah i I think i think i mean the restaurant business i i I like to think that we'll come back stronger which i which i think we will yeah definitely resilient yeah
0: I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. 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 Um, what is uh so kind of, I guess coming to the end is the last question or one of the last questions I had for you then is what would, what advice would you give to a cook or a, or someone in pastry right now who isn't sure which path to take in terms of the hot section or the pastry section, if they're kind of like interested, like you were, what would your advice be for them?
1: If they're not decided yet, I think, I think you should go for both. Personally, um, I like knowing, having knowledge of both. If I if I see something wrong nowadays on the hot section, I'll go tell the hot the young chefs um, what I think. Sometimes we'll have sometimes we'll have uh, young chefs come in who don't really know me, and they'll be doing something on the hot section. And I'll tell them like that's wrong. You should do it like this instead of like this. That's how it's supposed to be done. And I can see it on them, unless they just tell me right off. And they'll tell me like, uh, what do you know? You're you're working on pastry, like. And you, then you can tell them like, well, well, I was doing this for 20 years before I before you came. I mean, <laughs> it's it, it it comes. It's it's much easier to to talk to someone when you have knowledge about it. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever go back to the to the hot section. I don't think so. Right now, I, I've i never been – I don't think I've ever been as passionate as a chef as I am now working on pastry, which I used to hate before. I couldn't stand pastry. And But if you open your mind and try both, a bit of both worlds, then you're going to see – then you, it's easier to decide also. How do you know if you don't like something if you've never tried it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I hope, you yeah. know, whoever's listening, they're able to decide. Um, last mean, question for the podcast. All right. You go ahead. No, if you have more, that'd be great.
1: No. And I mean, even that you're more flexible for your company, also. I mean, if if there's too much people sick on the hot section, the head chef knows he can phone me to come in. He can't do that with other people. Okay. So you're you're more. The more knowledge you have, the more you're worth to your company. Also,
0: no, that's yeah. good. I mean, that's a that's a smart way to kind of. I mean, look even
1: out. even now during the Corona times, we've had we've had to cut down on shifts because um, obviously because we don't have people at the start before we closed down, and some of the chefs couldn't work on the hot section, so they they obviously couldn't work at the hotel during that time. They'd have to find other jobs, painting and stuff. I I could still do I could still do that. So instead of doing the pastry jobs, I was working on on the line with the with on the hot section. Yeah, that's good.
0: So you come you
1: become more worth to your company.
0: Okay, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, no problem. Um, last question for the podcast is kind of how I end every show is, um, basically the listeners, the people, everyone who takes part in Line Cook Thoughts. I call the listeners like the line cook nation it's really just like a group of cooks or chefs or people in the industry who are looking to learn and connect with each other what does it mean for you now to be a part of the line cook nation
1: yeah it's an honor to to be able to share my story with you i mean i what i it's it's always nice to 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 that people want to know your story and where you come from and i mean i i've listened to the one you did with chris harvey and and martin diaz and i was like yeah it would be nice to actually do one so i'm honored honored thanks
0: yeah of course i mean i saw i mean i was i was honored that you uh you know were listening because i had no idea you know and like when we talked yesterday on instagram i was like oh wow like i mean maybe he'd be willing to come on um it is it's always cool to kind of tell the stories of everyone so i'm really happy that you were able to come on thanks for
1: having me thank you
0: yeah, uh, like I said, thank you so much for coming on. I don't know if you just want to share your Instagram handle so people can go follow you if they're not already.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Vidal31, V I D A L. Yeah. Vidal hope you enjoy it. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a great Instagram. So I'd, hopefully, everyone listening will go check it out. But um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, I hope to stay in touch, but good luck with everything with the pandemic and, you know, I just wish you the best of luck getting back into the kitchen. Yeah. Same to you. Same to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.